Unity is this really powerful force that we witness every once in a while in certain contexts. Individual people coming together as one, somehow or another bonded together, creates this synergy that's more about multiplication even than it is about the addition of different people. We see this right now in the Ukraine as these people who love their country and they're bonded together in this purpose of defending it are able to stand against a much powerful, more powerful foe somehow and, and do amazing things somehow. This solidarity that results from a common belief and experience that's shared is a profound power that the world witnesses. We see this like in when uh, people who've had cancer are able to overcome that cancer and they get together and they celebrate it and, and, and they've got differences all around them but for some reason this one common bond is more powerful and more significant to them at that moment. We see this in AA. People who cannot overcome this addiction to alcohol on their own, they just find it just powerless to do it but when they come into community and they share this fight, Somehow or another there, they find the strength to overcome it. That's a powerful unity. We see this in Celebrate Recovery. When it's not just alcohol, it's any kind of hang-up you have. But when you get together and you confess it together and you share a common weakness, it becomes somehow a strength. It's an amazing thing. And the world really wants to create that sometimes. Congress tries this and they just can't make it happen. No matter what they try to do, they can't make this happen, seemingly. We live in a world where we, we know what we want to see. We, we hear it in Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I have a dream that someday my kids and your kids will gather together and won't even conceive of the differences but by the content of their character, we'll all be judged or we'll all come together. We, we see that and we share that, but we're wondering, how does that actually happen? How does that dream become reality? And we haven't been able to figure out. We're trying to legislate it. We're trying to force it. We're trying to guilt people into it. But for some reason, that dream is not developing quite like we'd like it to do. But look around you this morning. All sorts of strange, different people have agreed to come together on the top of this hill and do something jointly. We have young and we have old, economically successful, economically struggling. You have all sorts of people gathered here, different colors, different races, different backgrounds, you went to different schools, you were, uh, were raised in different environments, and yet you're able to come together as one, sit here together, and have a common experience. How is that? Well, it's because everybody agrees the preacher is tremendous. Or maybe you just like being high on a hill. Maybe that's what it is. Or, or maybe it's because Matt Nix was leading singing, and you thought, I love Matt Nix. I don't know. No, I don't know. There's one thing, though, required for this kind of powerful unity to develop. It requires a common, shared experience. But isn't that the problem, right? No matter what you do, you can't make the African-American historical experience anything like the white one. Are we doomed then? 
Is it useless? Is there no way to make this work? Because, hey, we don't share anything in our history. The history, we, we've, you know, they've been different treatments, different experiences. So is it hopeless because we can't share this experience? In the first century, it was every bit like the Jew and the Gentile, totally different. Jews grew up with the scriptures. They grew up with God in their midst and the commandments and all those wonderful things. And these other people were outside. There's no way you can make them have a common experience. So are we doomed? It would seem that way. We see it today a little bit. Men and women, for some reason, were at odds with each other. Not here, necessarily, but in our culture. And so you know what everybody's trying to do? You know how we're trying to solve it? We're trying to force them all to have the same experiences. In fact, we're sometimes forcing them all to just to be the same. As if we can artificially create a same experience of male and female uh, across, across these genders. And that's the basis we're going to use to create unity. And it's not going to work. That's not it's real. That's artificial. It's a hopeless experiment. I'm no sociologist, but I'm telling you that's doomed to failure. But back to us. You've come here voluntarily. No one's paying you or withholding payment from you. No one's forced you to come. They can't withhold a paycheck from you. Well, that would be me. I guess I'm the one that that would be, right? They can't ticket you for not coming. You came anyway. You came because you wanted to. The common feature, what is it? What is the common feature that we share that makes us not argue with why we should have to be here and to agree to get together, to start early in the morning, to prepare, get in your cars and come up here and join together and no one has to call around and no one has to argue and no one has to convince you, you came of your own accord. How is that? In this group, a wide variety of people Different backgrounds, different history, different experiences, yet we all come together like this. If my theory holds up, then the only way to explain this is that we all have shared some common experience that is so profound to us that this coming together like this makes sense to us. You know exactly why you're here. And the same reason... Harold and Wanda are here is the same exact reason these college students are here. Totally different backgrounds they grew up in and totally different generations, and yet it's the same reason. It's got to be. That's the only explanation, this common experience that we have. But what is our common experience? What is it? What is it that we share that overwhelms all that divides us? What is it? And I can... I think the word is we are the called people. How many of you have been called by God? Raise your hand. Called by God. I see a confusion with some people because you're like, that sounds too Methodist to me, right? I mean, that's what you're saying? That sounds too, like, denominational. We can't say that here. Look at 2 Thessalonians with me for just a second. But we ought always to give thanks for you. Paul writing to this Thessalonian church. This is one of the early letters. You're beloved by the Lord because God chose you. How many in here are the chosen? 
Okay, you're a little more comfortable with that language, but there's still not everybody figuring this out, right? You're, you're chosen. We, we think eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I pick you, but I don't pick you. That's not how God did it. He chose these Thessalonians who are gathered there and reading this letter, and Paul says, you are chosen. Every one of you are chosen. It doesn't matter Jew or Gentile or Greek or some other part of the country. You speak this language or you have this skin color. It doesn't matter. Every one of you alike are chosen. You're wanted and you're chosen by God. Now, how did God do this? Through the sanctification by the Spirit, belief in the truth. He called you through our gospel. Every time the gospel is preached, God is calling every listener to himself. He's an equal opportunity calling God. I want everybody, and he calls everybody. Listen, the fact that we're called doesn't say as much about us as it does about the God we serve. He's calling us. And the gospel goes out, and he calls. And when we respond to that call, we become the chosen. So I'll ask again, how many of you are called by God? Raise your hand. Keep it raised. How many of you are chosen by God? Okay, that's why we're here. You might be a dentist in Walnut Ridge, or you might be a retired person in Jonesboro. You might be in any you might be a school teacher from Tuckerman. It doesn't matter where you're from. You are here because you've been chosen, and I've been chosen, and that divide, that, that absolutely overwhelms any difference that we have. We're here because we're chosen by God. But that's not the only thing we share. We share the same testimony with each other. The stories that we share are the same. Now, your, how you flesh out that story and the little details of it are all going to be different because some people grew up in the church and you don't remember not being called by God. It's just been part of your story all your life. It's your biography. Others of you lived a pretty crazy life and hearing the call of God was like fingernails on a chalkboard. It drastically is different from the way you grew up and it woke you up, the original woke. You're the, among the original woke. But it doesn't really matter, the testimony is the same. And I wanna, get, I wanna share with you what unites us and this is, the, this is true. We have older people, Mary Lee Cunningham, who's here, Don and Lois Smith, who are here. You've got Eulalia Whitaker back there, and she's sometimes called Pete by her family, by the men. And I've just been wanting to work that into a sermon all my life. We're younger people here, technologically savvy and hip and young, and their life all ahead of them. Jenna and Kate and Evan and Colin and Lane, they're all here. Men and women, black and white, single and married. Some of you who've grown up in church, you can't remember when you weren't. Some of you, this is all still rather unfamiliar, but you have responded to God's call and you are the chosen. All sorts of people, all sorts of different backgrounds, and yet, and yet there's this common thing. This common thing. I know more about you than you realize, and you know more about me than I realize, all because we share this testimony. Ephesians chapter 1, if you were to look at this one long sentence that runs from verse 3 to verse 14, in the Greek it's one long run-on sentence. Paul just changes thoughts in the middle of a sentence. He writes like a junior high student. Right? I mean, he just cannot, cannot just express his excitement enough. We have a common heritage is what he's saying. What Jesus did for us, and I think I would have been better off if I said a common benefit package, right? What Jesus has done and given each one of us is amazing. You are 
rich in spiritual blessings. Every one of you. You know why I know that? Because I am too. We are, we are rich together. Everything God has done for us. And we, do, we, we just, this is true of us. This was true of us even before we were born as the possibility. And then when we were called and chosen by God, it became the benefit package we've got. This is amazing. And I know you've got these blessings. I know you can be forgiven of your sin. I know that you have an inside track on the will of God in Scripture. Secondly, we have a common story. Read with me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to ask yourself, who is you? Who is you? As we read. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Who is you? Okay, let me... And you were dead in your transgressions. You were enslaved to the powers of evil. You, who is you? Yes, you. Slaves, dead, unresponsive. I know this is true about you. I won't tell your employer, I promise, and I won't tell anybody this nasty description of you. This, is, this sounds like over the top, and you're thinking, this is a little over the top about me. No, it's not. It is the truth about you. It is the truth of every single one of us. Even if you grew up in the church and you were baptized as early as you could, when you reach the age of accountability, which is eight years, seven months, and 16 days, that day you got baptized. Even if that's true, this is true of you. This is true. You were nasty. You were bad. Every single one of you. Now, you might be less bad than some other people in here according to you, but according to God, you were as bad as the rest of them. There's no one exceptional in this room. You were all bad. You were dead and you were slaves to sin. Every one of us has slavery in our history. Every one of us has slavery in our history. This is true. But... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The only way you were spared from that terrible history that you had was by one man rescuing you, and there's no one in here that didn't need that dramatic rescue from a Savior who loved you. There's no one in here who didn't need that radical rescue. You are only right with God because God stepped in and cleaned up your mess. I know that about me, but I know that about Gary James, too. And that puts us all in the same boat, doesn't it? I mean, you might look a little better than me, or you might have a little bit better behavior. Maybe your story isn't as graphic as some of the others. But Richard Middleton and I have the same story. 
It's the same truth, and we were rescued the same way, and we needed the same Savior. And on the basis of that, that's why we gather around the table. That's why no one argues, I don't need that. I was better than you. No, no one can say that. The only way we made it was by the blood of Jesus. That's it. That is it. You are doomed otherwise. And that puts us in the same family, doesn't it? Now look at chapter 2, the second half of it, beginning verse 11. That puts, he, once he saved us, once we have that benefit package provided, and then the story of rescue that we all share, this is all our story, we're all in it. And then chap, the second part of chapter 2, um, go ahead with the next one, yeah, right there, because I needed the verse number there. Verse 14, he puts you in a one body. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. This is Jew and Gentile. You see they have a different background, different everything. These people couldn't get along at all because of their history. But now in Christ Jesus, we are. For he himself is our peace, who's made the two one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace, reconcile both of them to God in one body. Skip down to verse 18. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. And the whole structure, joined together, grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Once you have the same story with everybody else and the same rescue, you are thrown into the same body. Everybody who is saved, everybody who is rescued, everybody whose story has been altered by what Jesus did is thrown into one body. I'm in one body, you're in one body. If you're in the body of Christ, it's the same body of Christ I'm in. There aren't a hundred of them. Don't get fooled by going around Jonesboro and seeing the names on church buildings. There's this one and there's that one. There is one body of Christ. And when you respond to God and when he rescues you, he puts you in one body. And you better get along with the rest of them because there's only one option for you. And it just overwhelms your Jewishness, it overwhelms your Gentileness, and you're all one body. It doesn't matter what language you speak even. Same heritage, same story of a same Savior, same body. And then we turn to chapter 3. Keep in mind verse 1 of chapter 3 and verse 14 of chapter 3 for this reason. It's because of these things right here, because of what we have in common, that chapter 3 takes on its power. And Paul then gets on his knees. I want you to notice verse 14. Very well read a moment ago. For this reason I bow my knees before my Father. You get this, right? He's not just casually praying. Paul is on his knees praying this prayer. Because of these truths right here. One heritage, one rescue, one body that we're fellowshipping in. One, that's all, and we're all together one. Despite all the weird differences we have when we bring them in the building, when we get here, it's all dissolved in our rescue. 
And he has one prayer request. I want you to know this. This is a prayer we should pray every time we're together. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of, uh, of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. There is his prayer request. I want you to see it on the screen. This is the one thing he asks for. Now, he's going to describe what happens when you do this, but this is the one thing. I want you strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being. His spirit was placed in you. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit of God in our inner being. And God says, Paul says, I'm, I'm hungry for God to strengthen the spirit in you. When did you get the Holy Spirit? Here's the verse I think we need to know. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all everybody baptized into one body that's us together jews greeks slaves free he'd put male female american mexican he'd put all the differences in there all were made to drink of one spirit how many of you have been baptized okay how many of you believe you were baptized in the holy spirit Oh, good, you guys know this, good. Because so, a lot of people say, well, I'm not sure about it. Well, that's what this verse says. Water baptism is spirit baptism. When you are a baptized believer, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He makes you have the power of God inside of you, and he puts you into one body. So here's what I know. Here's what I know about you. There's a lot of stuff I know about you without even knowing much about any of you, right? You were a mess. You were a total mess. You were rescued by a Savior. You were put into one body. You were given the Holy Spirit of God. And we together have all this in common. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning and we don't debate it or discuss it or wonder if we belong here because we know this about each other. So there's the prayer request. I want you to be strengthened in your inner being. Go on to the next screen if you would. So there's the prayer request, right? This is what I want. And what happens if we do this? What happens if the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being is strengthened? What happens? And here's where he goes on with the prayer. So that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. You become the house of, the, of, of Jesus, and you start looking like him. You have Jesus in you. I have Jesus in me. Can we really fuss and fight if you have Jesus in you and I have Jesus in me? Can we not get along? Can we not overcome our differences given the united power of that? But there's a second thing. Notice the second thing. He said, I want you to be able to have the strength, he says, to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know how much Jesus loves you together with all the saints. I want you, through that spirit power inside of you, to be able to grasp how much Jesus loves you, and not just you. I want you to know how much Jesus loves that guy over there that maybe you don't like and have a lot in common with. Because notice what he says. To comprehend with all the saints how much Jesus loves us. I can't know how much Jesus even loves me to the uttermost without you. Isn't that weird? 
I can't know how much he loves me without really appreciating how much he loves you. I know what he's done for me, and I know what he's done despite what I've done, but he says together with all the saints, you're going to grasp this better. You're not going to get a Bible class together. We, let's talk about the, the, the love of Christ and know it by facts. This is something only the Spirit within you can develop inside of you as you comprehend it with all the saints. And I look across here, and I see people who are older and younger and have a checkered past, and some people look sharper than others. And when I think that he loves you, I learn something about God from you. And I add that to what I know about me, and it deepens this, the breadth and length and height and depth that can't be known just by me. One last thing, you'd be filled to the fullness of God, he says. Notice the Trinity. All members of the Trinity are interested in doing this. Now, all that together, all this is the prayer of Paul. This is what happens. Because, because of our common story, we can pray this. Because of the, the common body that we're in, we can pray this. But I want you to see the greatest of all things. I want you to notice verse 20 of chapter 3. This is a verse taken out of context terribly a lot. And here's where we go. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Do you know what that is? To him who can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We can't even imagine, right? We can't even imagine the things God can do. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Two things about this passage, two things about this verse. One is, this is not about him healing you of your cancer. This is not about him delivering you from depression. For this reason, in verses 3 and verse 14, beckon us back to the other thing about being one body. You know that God, through the gospel, can actually... I know you can't imagine this, because I can't imagine it either. He actually can make us one. It's unimaginable to me that in the church there could be people who... It could be half black and half white. We don't have to send them on the other side of town into another building. They can be together. You, you don't need a, a church. That, hey, all the older generation who wants to sing the old songs, you all go to that church, and all you young people want to get rid of those old people and those old songs. You get together, and you have your hip energy and your great technology, and you worship here, and you've lost something. That's not one body. That's not what God's want. What he's saying is, I can actually bring you together as one if you'll do it through the gospel. That's the unimaginable work that God can do. That's what he's talking about in this passage. The second thing that you need to know about this is God won't do it without you. You see that? Now, to whom is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power work at work within us, according to his work within us, God won't do this without us, which means you know what's holding God up? Do you know what's getting in the way of God doing this amazing, uniting thing? Do you know who that, do you know why God's not done it yet in Jonesboro, Arkansas? I mean, we in our churches of Christ can't even get together. Even we can't get together. What's going on? Do you know what's going on? We're in the way. We're in the way. 
He wants to do it through us. He won't do it around us. He will not do it despite us. He says, I'm going to do unimaginable things through you. This is God's great kryptonite. This is God's great mistake. Lightning is going to strike me dead. I just said God made a mistake. God chose to limit himself to us. How many think God could do a better job of evangelism than we can? Send an angel. Come on down and do it yourself. God says, I ain't going to do it. I'm going to do it through you. What? Are you crazy? Us? You're going to put this thing? You're going to put this thing in our hands? Your entire plan is up to us? Yes, that's exactly right. Crazy, isn't it? I believe God wants Valley View to be the place where different races, different backgrounds, different histories can come together as one, united with our common testimony in the gospel. I believe that's what he's called us to. I think over the next 10, 15 years, we should change colors. We should change colors. And the only reason it won't, if it doesn't, is you and me. I know what God wants, and so do you. He just said it right here. I know what he wants. Now, I don't know how to do this because I'm as much in the way as anybody here. I'm the biggest obstacle to any of this. But can I share with you one thing? I just, I'm, I'm thinking we can do this in small practical steps here, okay? I, I went back and, and doing this. Here's what April says in your challenge book, and I'm going to keep coming back to that all year long. Invite at least one person to your home for a meal, coffee, or dessert. This person must never have been in your home before. And you're thinking, what's the deal with the home and the meal and the coffee or the dessert? This is a concrete way of doing exactly what we just talked about. But you don't know what you're doing when you do it. Never been in your house before. If you're going to have one, you might as well invite four or five. But the others can have been there before. Be prepared to show them pictures of your family you've posted on your wall. It's uncomfortable for you, and I know it, it is for many. Invite a friend or two to help you pull it off. As long as one person's been there, never been there before, you can invite others who have. All that, That's interesting, isn't it? The reason the home is important is because when God did this the first time, this Jew-Gentile thing has been going on for generations, y'all, but when he broke it, when God demonstrated radically what we never imagined he'd do, he did it through a home. Listen to Acts. This Acts 11, in Acts chapter 10, you know what Peter was doing. He was on the roof of a house. He had this thing lowered down, and God said, don't you call people unclean that I've made clean. I'm going to send some people to you, and you're not going to go with them. And so Cornelius sends some people. You remember Cornelius? He was a Gentile, but he loved God. He served God, and he was told, you need to go get Peter, bring him to your house, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. God's orchestrating this because, guys, he couldn't have done it through human beings because human beings weren't going to let it happen. Here's Peter telling the story the next day, we'll say the next day, to fellow Jews. This is Peter telling the story of how it happened. And the Spirit told me to go with them. Making no distinction, these six brothers also accompanied me. So he had six other Jewish people with him. And we entered the man's house. You don't sound impressed. At this point, the original hearers would have gone, What? 
just like that. It would have sounded even higher pitched than that. Or they might have fainted out and died. They just, you went to his house? And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house right where I was. Yeah, where you are, an angel was a couple days ago. That's that's. He will declare to you a message that you, by which you'll be saved, you and all your household. And Peter said, so I went in the house. And as I began to speak the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did us. They had the same experience. That's what writes us, y'all. That's what unites us. We've had the same experience. We were lost heard the gospel, Jesus saved us, we responded, we become family, we have the same exact experience. Because he went into his house. The gospel not only proclaimed, but actually obeyed and lived, because that's what this was. You see, a couple months ago, you... In the comfort of your home, you sent cards to other people. Good job, well done, and a lot of people encouraged. Last month, you from a distance even, but with the person in your head, because you're supposed to think of their picture. Remember, you're supposed to look at their picture or see their picture and imagine them in their head and what, what kind of things. They, and, and you thought of them and you prayed for them at a distance. But April, keeping the distance isn't going to work. You need to cross the threshold. Go into the home just like that's how God broke the barrier in the first place and that's how he's going to break ours too. This isn't some earth-shattering thing, but this is going to change you. And I've heard people say, I just can't imagine doing that. I'm private. I don't like this. I don't invite people. I can't imagine. I know you can't imagine. God is the God of I can't imagine. And the only thing keeping the unimaginable happen is opening your door. This is the difference. Open the door. And when somebody invites you, if you don't feel comfortable going to somebody else's, you need to go across the threshold yourself. Is it really all that big a deal? It was to Peter and it was to the first century church. And if it weren't for that event, you would not be in the kingdom of God today. You would not be there today. This is not some giant step that's going to change the world. This is a small step to show us that we can do things that make us uncomfortable, that we can't imagine ourselves doing, but because we feel called by God, we need to do this. This is what we need to do as a body of Christ. If we're ever going to reach the bigger things, we've got to do this kind of thing. I cannot imagine. That's the God we serve. We serve a God of the I cannot imagine But sometimes the only reason we don't get what we can't imagine happening is because we keep a door closed and we're in the way because God has said, I won't do that unimaginable thing unless it's through you. You must do what you need to do to let that unimaginable thing of God happen. And I'm asking you in the month of April, extend it into May if you need to, I'm asking you, Open your home, let someone step across the threshold, share your life, and the only common thing you have with that other person is a common testimony, and that's enough. That's enough. 
That's the gospel being lived in a very practical way. And I'm asking you to do that. And I'm asking if there's anyone here who for whatever reason you've withheld, you've stopped, God's opened the door to you, but you've never accepted his offer. He is calling to you through his gospel constantly, whether it be through the words of a sermon or a Bible class or a song or the actions of someone here who loves you. Whatever it is, he's been beckoning you. He's calling you through your gospel, but you've never responded and been chosen by him. This morning is a time for you to quit running, to quit ignoring the call, let the call of God land. Pick up the call. Become the chosen this morning. Confess the name of Jesus and be immersed. And join us as we follow God as the chosen people. That's, if you're subject to that this morning, we're not going to delay any longer. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.